0: I want women like you to have it easier than I had it so you can thrive in the industry. I've now helped thousands of women grow their financial businesses to multiple six figures, some even seven figures per year. So on this podcast, you're going to get an inside look at how they did it so you can do it too. Let's dive into the show. Welcome, welcome. It's Robin Crane. I'm here with Stacey Relton and she's a transformational leader with a proven record of driving enterprise value and successful leading teams and directing integration during during and post M&A transactions. So we're back to, like some of you might've heard some of our podcasts on M&A mergers and acquisition and I think it's really interesting to have someone like Stacy here because of the transformational growth that she has helped her company and then also like what can we learn from it especially when it comes to buying and selling your like a book of business in the financial space so let's just dive into it because I mean one thing you told me before we started recording is basically you took this company your managing partner of straight and you took this company from we're not going to say the exact numbers, but basically to a valuation of 10 times what it was in less than five years. Is that right? Yes.
1: Yes. It was, it was a lot like driving a race car. Like you you take a street legal car and then you put it on a racetrack and then, you know, you take off at 200 miles an hour, but the whole time you're doing it, you're having to like upgrade everything on the car, right. To be a race car. So I swear I was constantly like, upgrading the tires or upgrading the engine or any parts systems in the company. It was like every other month or every, every quarter, we were certainly like clipping levels of growth that you have to then make, you know, infrastructure upgrades to keep up with it. So, um, it was super fun. Um, but it was a lot like evil Knievel. And so, So, um, and then, so when, when did you, did you start this company? I did not. I did not. My husband, John Relton had actually started it in um, December of six. And so he had had it for about nine years, nine and a half years. And And it's an uh, private equity firm? No, we're actually a fund administrator. So what we do is, and we can really thank Bernie Madoff for this, um, is what our industry (laughs) I don't know where this is
0: going, but I'm already laughing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's totally good. So, you know, kind of the whole, the way people get away with a Ponzi scheme or Bernie Madoff, people like that, is there's no one really verifying the numbers and there's no one really checking to see where the money goes. So fund administrators had been an industry before that, but we weren't very highly used. And then after kind of, especially like 07 and 08, people, investors became a lot more picky on, okay, if I'm going to write you a check, whether it is a $100,000 check or a million dollar check, then I need to know that number one, the numbers that I get from you are the actual numbers, right? So if you you say that my a million dollars is now worth 1.1? Is it really, you know, and they have that verified. Um, And then secondly, that the money is where it's supposed to be. So we, you know, we make sure that if if we get the money from an investor, and then we make sure that the fund manager, whether it's a hedge fund or private equity fund or venture capital or hybrid, any type of alternative investment, that the money actually goes into that investment. And then when that investment is sold, the fund administrator is actually the one that gets the money back from the investment and then does the allocations to say okay if you had 50 investors or if you had 400 investors then here's how much of you know each portion goes to each investor and so we're kind of a that third party even when a fund has a CFO they will almost always have a fund administrator because the number one question um, that, you, that a fund will get from an investor is who is your fund administrator and then mm-hmm. who is your auditor, right? So they got, so it, got so it. doing do so- it and checking it.
0: And then your clients were hedge funds or private equity firms. Exactly. Those were your clients. Yeah. I worked exactly. with this woman at the beginning actually when I first started working with um just female business owners. And she had um she had a two million dollar fund administration company. It was like two million, two million in revenue. And then I think it was, like she wanted to eventually sell her company for 10 million. She doesn't have numbers like yours, but um, and then we in seven months she sold it at six million. So we were pretty happy with that because she wanted to get it to ten awesome. million and it only took seven months. She sold it for six and she was working in the company. sounds kind of similar where she was still then working for this company who bought them, you know, yeah. bought her out. And then she still got a piece of the upside when they sold. And I, I, I don't know the end Absolutely. of that story, but I know she was working with someone like doing diamond stuff. Like she was just living the life. Cause she's like, Oh, that's so cool. Cause I didn't want to stop working. And now I'm working at the, in the diamond industry. And I'm like, she's like, and I get to have all these diamonds. I was like, Oh, that sounds like you, Denise. That sounds awesome. So you basically, awesome. so you were a managing partner of straight and as a managing partner, was your job like really focused on the business growth, like changing the tires, as you said, like to keep upgrading infrastructure and you're not doing like the back end, you know, type of operations. You were really on the
1: business growth side. No, 100%. I was at the strategic level. Um, I had started my career in audit, um, but only for like 18 months. So um, I had never, you know, certainly could not do the work that any of my accountants could do, nor anyone on my regulatory compliance team, because I had a bunch of legal folks and they handle all that stuff. Um, but I was really the, the person that led the strategic growth. So, you know, I came in and looked at it and said, okay, you know, what are we doing? What's working well? What's not working? Um, uh, We were like some small businesses where we kind of had multiple different service lines. And so, you know, some were growing faster than others and some were more in demand than others. And really kind of looking at that, looking at what our competitors were doing. um, I think, you know, my number one strength has always been strategy. So Mm -hmm. I really came in and looked at the business and said, okay, um, here's where we are. Um, and I might be known for kind of being the the gasoline you pour on the fire when you really want it to to get much larger. So I came in and said, okay, we're here, but I really want to be there. And okay, how am I going to get there? Because it's the chicken and the egg, right? And so looking at, you know, like, where are we getting our referrals from? And I placed a lot of emphasis on referral partners and And how do we help them, right? Because you can't just have referral partners that it's give me, give me, give me. You know, my thing was relationships. It's, okay, here's my strategic plan for growth. Here's the types of clients we want. Here's, you know, the growth rate that I would like. And I would set these targets and the margins, right? Because everyone at the end of the day, you have to be profitable. You don't want to grow just to grow. You actually want to grow to maximize value. And then where's that growth come from? And you know, for some businesses, it's referral partners. And then from some businesses, depending on what your business is, it could be from you know more marketing campaigns or more different things like that. And so I really focused on relationships and said, okay, if we do a really good job, who do we benefit other than our clients? And for us, it was CPA firms because it made it a lot easier to do the tax and audit work. And it was also the law firms because they wrote the initial legal docs, right, uh, for the funds. And then they were ongoing, you know, counsel as the fund continued to grow. And so I stepped back and said, okay, you know, which law firms, which CPA firms kind of align with us both in quality of work, number one, but also in size of client? Because if you're a small firm, you might really want the, the largest in the industry to refer to you but you might not have the same client base, right? Mm-hmm. So you kind of have to look at that where your business is today. And then I would say that's something you have to reevaluate as your business grows, right? Because everyone starts off small and typically starts off with small clients, no matter what your business is, right? It's it, That's kind of where you start. And then as you grow, you typically start getting larger clients, you know, and, and, and more broad-based clients And that may still align with your initial referral partners or some of your business may, but then some of your business may align more with middle market firms or with large firms. And then I just started forming those relationships. And anytime I could refer them in, it was always a, hey, how do I give to them? Before it was, hey, what can you give to me? Right. And so at the end of the day, you form a really good ecosystem. And I think that ecosystem, you know, you you not only build each other's business, which is fun and rewarding and and great, you work well together. So the client knows that you work well together. So, you know, the client's not like, oh, am I picking multiple service providers that don't know each other or don't, you know, work well together? Um, And then you also, I think, make lifelong friends. I think some of my, my best friends are honestly those that I've made through work. Um, just because we we've done so much business together and we've seen each other's businesses grow professionally and and individually as well so that's but awesome. yeah I I did all the strategy there and 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 kind of really you know grew our client base and in type of client um you know certainly expanded some service lines like regulatory compliance and then really just watched market trends um and I think that's one thing that's important is, there's, there's so much you can do internal, you know, from strategic planning to marketing to all of this. But at the end of the day, we all live in a global economy. And so, and especially at the national level, there's things outside that I think are going to affect your business. And as the leader, you need to make sure that you're not only looking internally, but that you're paying attention to that because you might have to pivot here and there right? Your focus may change here and there a little bit to stay in line with, with the market.
0: Awesome. So let me unpack some of that stuff. And I also want to say, like I said, in five years, but what you actually told me was that you guys sold the company in April, 2021 for, we're going to just say, we'll call it one X, right? And then actually a year later in 2022, you sold it. So you went to a private, you went to a public company and then back to private. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And then so it was like 10 to 15 X multiple of
1: that first X in a year, uh, right? So is that accurate? Yeah, our, the majority of our payout was, and it kind of depends. So when you sell a business, you can sell it a number of different ways. Um, when we sold ours and it was to a public company. So the number is um, fortunately or unfortunately was made public. Um, so we sold the Son group, which was a London based publicly traded company. And so we did that in April of 21. Um, I stayed on, as is typical when you sell a business, they want the main operator to stay on. So I stayed on with them and became their head of North America. So I actually had the privilege of taking over their other three offices that were here in the US um, and kind of creating cohesion and driving that strategic growth at an even larger level. Um, so it was a fabulous experience. I learned so much and I'm so grateful for it. Um, thought we'd be with them you know, forever, but as I found out, any public company is up for sale um, if the investors choose to take it private. And so we had Apex, which was one of the largest worldwide come in and actually approach our investors and take us private. And so it took mm-hmm. about a year to get through all the regulatory stuff. Uh, we did get, you know, we we're fortunate to get a kind of second bite of the apple, um, but it was certainly not, not um, the way it was planned. So, but um, it was great. And And now now are you out? No, I chose to stay. So um, I really believed in our people and really believed in our mission. Um, And I really liked, um, you know, I felt like when we sold to San, we looked at, you know, not only services and, and product alignment, but we really looked at values. And for me, it was how we treat our people and how we treat our clients. That has to be aligned or I just wasn't gonna be in in the game. Um, And that aligned perfectly. And then when APEX came along, it was a great opportunity because they had a really strong focus on technology. And um, SAN was in 23 countries. And I should know this, but APEX was in 30 something countries. So all together, we became the largest in the world. And APEX provided us with a lot of technology solutions and also, uh, just a lot of it. I thought we broadened our services going from straight to SON. but then now that we're Apex, there's almost nothing we can't do. I mean, we hmm. we own a conference in our industry. We we wow. own, you know, one of the largest hedge fund softwares in the industry. We own, you know, lots of proprietary stuff. And then service line, it's it's, it's kind of we followed a market trend as we talk about this. Years ago, people would have a fund administrator and then they would have a compliance provider and then they would have, you know, um, someone who did their loan servicing and then maybe they would have someone who did something else. And Mm -hmm. what we learned is over the years, these managers don't want to deal with 10 different people. yeah. yeah, And so in our industry, as you know, talking about following trends, a trend in our industry is that people are like, I want as few service providers as I can get, as long as I can get the quality. And so APEX had a great approach of, hey, if we can come into a client and we can provide the basic fund administration, which what that means is accounting, investor reporting, you know, and all of that. We can provide regulatory compliance. We can provide loan servicing if they need it if they're, you know, international and they need, you know, intercompany currency, multi-currency, you know, transaction right. stuff, you know, we can do that. And so it's a it's a much more simplified working relationship with a client instead of them having to keep track of, you know, 10 different firms that do 10 different things. And so, so I like their approach so I
0: stayed. That's awesome. So let, let me kind of unpack this and then bring it to the listener here. So, you know, if you're a financial advisor, I know with most of the women who come to me, they're like, they're just trying to get their next client. Like, so it's like, even like, it's, it's almost groundbreaking when I talk to them about getting really clear on who is that one person that you want to, I call it cloning. Like you want to clone, and then we're going to get more of those ideal yep. clients. So like, that's like the simplicity of it. And, and what Shelly's or sorry, Stacy sorry, is bringing here brain fart there. And um, what Stacy's bringing here is that you know, there's a lot more complexity to it, but it's like, what we can do is learn from big companies and companies that have a really high valuation, because you want to think like a business owner. You don't want to think like an advisor, as great as an advisor is, as great as you, you know, as much as you care about your clients and your team, what I'm seeing here with the theme here that Stacey's mentioning is like, so does she, she cares about her people. She cares about the clients. And like, that is number one. And that's what most of the women who come to me, like, it's always number one. Like I I don't, I never want to let down my clients. I want to make sure they're taken care of. Everybody's worried about, the market the market trends right now is that people are freaking out you know maybe they're getting used to it like is there a recession is there not a recession like what is it going to look like in a few months is the market going to go down is it going to go up oh yes of course i should buy right now but of course i don't feel like it because i'm scared it's going to get right all that like yeah. that that kind of um, environmental stuff that's like affecting everybody in their mindset cuz everybody is a bad investor right so but what i want you guys to take away from it is really thinking about some of these key things and i'm going to just uh, talk for a minute to like kind of unpack some of this stuff We all know as advisors, referral, we don't think of them as referral partners. We call them centers of influence, like the COIs, okay? But I actually want you to, for a second, think of a referral partner instead, because this is like the people who are making a lot more money than a typical advisor are the ones who are thinking big just like Stacey, as far as an entrepreneur, as far as a business owner, as far as valuation. Now, if you're in this business um, as a financial advisor and you're growing a book of business, you should absolutely already be thinking with the end in mind. Like, how am I going to exit? Is there a succession plan? And I'm not talking about like, do you want to give it to your nephew or niece or do you want to you know, give it to someone in your office? I'm talking about growth, baby. Like, it's not just about the revenue you make right now. It's about like, you have the opportunity to sell your business. Now, when I was a financial advisor, um, I basically like I had no clue. Like I was just trying to get by. I was trying to get any client, especially at the beginning. And then I got a little pickier and got a little higher end client. And I knew like there was an opportunity someday to sell my business. But at the time I sold it in 2015, but it was like two times, you know, technically, te- you know, typically it was like two times recurring revenue, right? And then maybe one times if you have any other like commission type stuff. And, you know, I, I basically got two times recurring revenue. I didn't have a very big business, so it wasn't like this gold mine, but it was something which was cool because I was only in the business, well, about 10 years, nothing like you, you know, Stacey, but it was something and I was like, okay, that was cool. And and to get anything to go leave and jump ship when I had not planned on ever selling the business and I had no intention of like growing a team, like I had no clue, I was just trying to get by like was just kind of like icing on the cake. This is cool. But now when I, when I'm bringing financial advisors in, they're just thinking about like, what's my, you know, next, where's my next client going to come from? We're really intentional with who that person is. And what I want you to think about is like, well, how can I get this to a valuation that's much higher than this typical two times revenue? And uh, I was mentioning this to you before, Stacey, that I was talking to one of my clients who was going to buy a business. And I thought like, this is still how the industry is going. It's just like we look at recurring revenue and it's two times, but it's not. It's like a traditional business now where the valuations are real, where they're looking at EBITDA, they're looking at your actual assets, they're looking at the clients. And what you told me before I started recording, Stacey, is that they value different size clients at different levels. Right. And so like the buyer is just a buyer, right? They're going to get picky about what do they want? Is it a match? Like you're talking about the the referral partners, like, are they a match? Well, it's like the buyer is going to say, is this a match? Is this a type of personality of you know, clients that I want to work with? Is this the type of client? Do I want you know, a thousand little clients or a hundred big clients? Or maybe I don't want all my eggs in one basket and this huge client that if that one client leaves, like, okay, we're screwed. So being super intentional with how you build your business is going to allow you to sell it at a higher rate. And I know there's all this stuff with multiples, like this type of company. If it's an education company, get this multiple. If it's a tech education company, it's like... 10 times the multiple or something crazy. Like, it's like you add tech to it, maybe five, but like you add tech to it, it's like so much bigger, but understanding how that works, because I don't think it's like a straight line anymore of just like, Oh yeah, financial companies sell for this much. And this, this times revenue, but it's more like looking at EBITDA and and all that stuff. So um, I know I'm going on a tangent I just want to make sure they understand like this is this is thinking bigger this is the entrepreneur you know entrepreneur in you or the entrepreneurial spirit that you have to pay attention to and then all these things matter so going back to just like even business growth referral partners let's not just think of them as centers of influence I feel like what people you know advisors think about is like how can I this is you know opposite of what you said how can I get more people or more centers of influence to refer clients to me and what you said stacy yeah. is like how can I bring more value to them? And this is a theme. I talked to someone else, Mary Lyons in the past, um, a past podcast as well. It's like, she's a friend of mine. She's great. Really? She's
1: wonderful. Oh, yes. she's so
0: yes. awesome. She's awesome. so awesome. Like that was a great podcast. So So yeah, she was like, I just I would go to these meetings, and I'm like, how can I give you so much value, and who can I connect you with? And sometimes it might be a personal trainer, it might be someone that's not your traditional like CUI. But she would be so intentional about serving them, connecting with them, becoming friends with them, but not friends like you know, oh, we're gonna go hang out and have cocktails, and I can never drive you to want to work with me like most advisors, where they're just like, how do I, how do I get past the friend zone of you know like now we're friends, and I don't know how to try to get their assets. You know, it's like she was really intentional with like, Hey, we're going to do business together maybe. And here's how it goes, but I'm going to try to help you. And then my expectation is like, I'll tell you what I do and see if you can help me. So I think that's like really good. Look at it. Like referral partners, like we win together, not like I need someone to refer to me. So I just talked a lot, but I wanted to break down. There's like so much more I want to break down there, but just
1: anything to add just based on what I just said. So I don't, you know, talk everybody's ear off here. That's great. And, 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 when you talk about kind of being, you know, small and and we're all like that in the beginning, right? In the beginning, I was like, I will take any client I can get, right? Any client I can get, it's almost like, you know, you almost didn't care as much about the margins, you know, because you just, you needed to grow that revenue, right? You grow revenue to get larger clients, you get larger clients to grow revenue. It's like the chicken and the egg, right? Um, But there's so many things you can do, even when you're small. And um, our founder had a great, you know, um, statement and it was, don't be the best thing nobody's ever heard of, right? Mm -hmm. So you can appear a lot bigger than you are. Um, Come up with your value proposition and what sets you apart. And then I will tell you, you don't know the number of nights I like watch TV on the couch with a glass of wine and went on LinkedIn to find out who do I need to be connected to, right? How do I grow? I didn't have a marketing budget back then, So I couldn't go waving banners and attending conferences and doing stuff that some of my competitors were, but I could make connections on LinkedIn. And then I noticed that the more I connected on LinkedIn, you know, and I would just, I would literally have a statement and I would just run a search, a very strategic search and hit connect, 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 connect. And there's a maximum number you can hit each week. So if you will do this consistently over a period of time, you'll end up with you know 15,000 people. And what most of your connections won't realize is that once they've connected to you, then they start seeing your advertising rolling in their feed and they never even put two and two together. So I can't tell you the number of times I've been at a conference and people have run up to me and said, oh my gosh, like you're everywhere. Like I never really had heard of y'all until last month. And now you're all over my LinkedIn. And I'm thinking that's because I sent a connection invite to you or someone did. <laughs> Yay, and, algorithms. And it, <laughs> yes, and you accepted it, right? And yeah. so I think there's nothing wrong with, you know, when you're small, you're starting there and it is the next client. And then you, you can't immediately go from there to the billion dollar client, right? You go from there to how do I take a small step up? right? How do I just get to that next level? And how do I get to that next level? And then finding out about valuation in your business. Um, This is something I wish I had done much earlier on when I first stepped up to lead. Um, I'll be honest and tell you it was something I did later on. But talk to investment bankers or whoever in your industry is known for putting kind of either valuing you know financial services businesses or investment bankers and they will tell you what they see in the market and then you also have a relationship that if you ever do want to sell you're not interviewing everyone kind of cold calling and interviewing and meeting them for the first time right because it's an extremely it's like a lawyer you're you're trusting them with the potential sale of your business so start talking to them now what do you see in the market and then you know put it on your calendar to catch up with them every 6 months even if it's for 15 minutes or 30 minutes, you know what are you seeing in the market? What's changed? What's your advice? And you'd be surprised; they will give you more intel than you could research in weeks and weeks. So, you know, we all start somewhere. Um, you know, even even if you don't have the budget, figure out your free tools. Um, figure out how to differentiate yourself. I agree hundred um, percent with Mary. She and I have had um, many conversations about this, but. Like you said, it's hey, who do you need to know? And that's that that used to be one of, and still is one of my first questions. Is you know who do you need? Who can I introduce you to? And they'll tell you, I really need more um, bankers in my portfolio of my you know centers of influence or my referral partners. You know, I really wish I knew more attorneys that were in this specific space. And so if I can just email them afterwards, and good people know good people, by the way and that's how i built my business is like if i knew when mary and i met we were both like oh my gosh you're 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 going to be a powerhouse and you're going to be a powerhouse too right so i knew that anyone that mary referred me to i could trust would be a good person a good referral partner right mm-hmm. and likewise if i make an introduction my network knows it's going to be worth their time you know it's not just going to be some random person that i looked up on the internet i think so, i think a
0: huge the theme here is, is like is think bigger, too, because it's like, well, think bigger and and what I mean by that, it's like it can't just be about getting the next client. Like it can't just yeah. be that, which is really hard, especially in where where we're at today and like where the economy is, and everybody's I'm gonna say everybody with the quote, you know, because you're not struggling, but you know a lot of people are struggling at this time, but which just means there's more value that you have, right? And if you're in this place where you feel like you're struggling how to get your next client, well, yeah, if we're just, then we start throwing stuff at the wall, see what sticks. And it's all about taking a step back and being more intentional. And, you know, I read in your bio, I didn't say it, but like how you suggest like having a one year, three year and five year plan. Like I'm really bad about that. I'm really bad about like planning in general. Like I'm a, I'm an action taker. I'm just like, you know, instead of aim, fire, shoot, I'm like, shoot, shoot, trigger. I'm very trigger happy. Just shoot, shoot, shoot. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, entrepreneurs are very much like that. Right. But, but what I've been doing recently, cause I'm like, I'm my big theme here is like scalability. And like, I want to get to a point where, you know, I mean, right now we have some scalability, but we're, we're definitely like lash, you know, just hitting ceilings like those. And a lot of the listeners don't do Facebook ads and things like that, but like there's been a lot of changes in that area. Now AI is the big thing. Like, you know, and it's like, what, how is that going to shift and being ahead of the curve instead of behind the curve and thinking about, okay, well, what do I really want? What does that look like? Where am I trying to go instead of just make my next buck or get my next client? Because I think really do think the industry has taught you just to like get as many clients as possible. It doesn't really matter until you get to a point. Like it doesn't really matter what the quality is. Like it's just volume game, volume game, volume game, but you bring on smart entrepreneurs like you, you know, like Stacy. And you're like, Oh, like she had to be intentional, right? And intentional is a really good word for women. And I think in general, just for business, it's like, this is an intentional game. This is not like as much as I aim, you know, or fire, fire, fire. And I don't really aim. I'm intentionally being intentional with where I want to focus and how I'm going to grow this and what do I actually want. And if I'm going to want, like, depending on what I want, that's going to be different with how I surround myself or where, who I surround myself with and who Absolutely. I want those, even if I'm not thing referral partners, but just like connections, right? What I forget the woman who wrote the book, but it's like, your net worth is your network. Right. And I always talk to my clients about up leveling their network. And LinkedIn is a great place. Now, everyone's inundated with LinkedIn. People are freaking out about LinkedIn, like, oh, everyone's been trying to sell me stuff, which means you have to up level your brand as well. Like, you can't just be like, have on your, your profile that's like, you know, I sell insurance and financial planning services that does not differentiate you from anyone else. And then you're trying to like talk to, you know, uh, you know the Stacey Reltons of the world. Right. <laughs> um, like, you have to like show that you have some credibility and you have something. To offer as well, so, but it doesn't mean you let perfect get in the way of perfection either. You know, Stacy's like, okay, it's not doesn't mean you go for the biggest clients. It doesn't mean you you have to start somewhere, and you have to you have to you know just up level a little bit, like up level a little bit. Let's go after like a little bit higher end client. Who are the people? Is it just CPAs and and bankers? Is that like let's get creative and think about who might also be touching that client so that you can put yourself in the right situation. So I think all this is is really
1: huge. I think, I think one thing, Robin, that's really important, and, and I've seen some f- financial advisors um, who, who do track this. And I was like, oh, that's genius. But like, who is going to be an ideal client that might not be an ideal client today? Right. So some some people choose a specific industry. Like I, I, I have friends that are financial advisors and they really focus on healthcare, or others who are really broad and they, you know, they'll work with anyone and some focus more on women or more on this. But, you know, you're looking at how, when does a small client become a big client? m a So are you watching who's in EO? Entrepreneurs organization, right? Are you watching who is in Vistage? That's another group that a lot of leaders belong to. Are you watching, you know, the people that are there? Because those people one day probably are going to sell, right? And then you may already have a relationship with them, which ideal if you do, right? If you start that relationship now so that when they come into the money, it's not a random cold call of, hey, you sold your business and I now want, would like to do your financial, you know, planning, if that makes sense. So um, but I think there's ways to look at it like that of, okay, this might be a small fish today, but when, you know what would be the small fish that could become the big fish and look at really forming relationships in those groups. And it's hard to do everything at every time. So I found that time blocking and I'm horrible at it. I'm the worst at it, but I would say, okay, I'm gonna designate this amount of time to those immediate wins, right? Like I need quick business, quick sales, I can get them in. I'm gonna designate a certain amount of time to really building, you know, my current centers of influence or referral partners, or making X introductions, you know, and then I'm going to spend X amount of time on futuristic, right? So maybe getting to know the clients that, you know, they're small, they'd be okay clients today or the prospects, right? Potential clients, um, but they have a potential down the road to become really big clients. And so I think if you kind of look at it in three segments then it makes it a lot easier to digest and just weekly goals, right. Or monthly goals. Like it doesn't have to be as big as a year out. It can be, Hey, here's what I'd like to do, but I'm going to break it down and I'm going to commit to doing this this month or this week or this quarter. And then you get some wins under your belt. And then those big goals aren't as unattainable as they sounded at the beginning of the year.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I actually have a marketing plan. I'll give you all. Um, I just was looking up the URL. You can go to femalefinancialadvisors.com forward slash marketing dash plan. That would get the seven step marketing plan. But you just reminded me of it because one of the things I talk about is that, again, in the industry, they're just telling you like they don't tell you anything is like a short term marketing um, strategy, a mid midterm marketing or medium term marketing strategy and then a long-term marketing strategy. For example, they'll just say network or build centers of influence. Like we all know that centers of influence is probably not going to be the most immediate, like you said, but you like everyone wants to build centers of influence because then you'll get a ton of referrals at once, right? It's same like as talks, like you're not going to necessarily get a talk tomorrow, but if you get a talk even in three to six months, you'll probably get a lot more clients than you would uh, just going one-off to networking events, right? And so I have this little like plot chart, right? So it's like people often think like networking this is what they teach in the industry, you're going to go networking and all of a sudden you're going to get a client from networking. Like you might be lucky if someone's in that, I don't know if you know that Chet Holmes pyramid, but in the 3% like ready to buy, right? You might get one person, but typically networking is actually a long-term play. Like you got to build those relationships and everyone's going like, I just went to 10 networking events this month and I didn't get any clients. You're like, yeah, duh. Like it's not a short-term thing. But if you have like a LinkedIn campaign that's trying to get you appointments, you're going to get some of those 3% and that could be short term, but you're also very strategic about, well, who is, who are the people that I want in my network long-term that that's, I'm not trying to get as a client. I'm actually trying to get them like to be in my network. So eventually I get people they know, like, you know, I got to interview Mel Robbins. And so like, just knowing Mel Robbins got me to people like Grant Cardone and stuff. They're like, I didn't even necessarily, I wasn't very smart. I wasn't that intentional. I was just like, Oh, she's really cool. Let me interview her. But I lucked out because I put myself in this position to be with someone like Mel Robbins. And then that got me like a bunch of different opportunities because I was highly positioned. Just now I can say, Oh, you know, now that I've been on you know a podcast with Mel Robbins, it's like, I look cooler just because she, she became yeah. way bigger. Like Grant Cardone got way bigger since I was on his Um, his network and things like that. So that's a lot like what you're saying is like, I recognize in people. So, and they were already pretty, like pretty big, but like got into this network where it lifts me higher just because now I'm, you know, in somewhat proximity of them or associated with them. So that is something I think financial advisors don't ever think about. And it's like your brand and who, you know, is, is going to determine what your future really looks like. So this has been huge. Like we kind of took a turn for the better, I think, of like how this really relates to them. But they needed all that pre-frame to understand your background and like how you can think like a true entrepreneur. The valuation, M and A, you know, thinking about like selling your business one day that you have to be thinking way, way bigger and then position yourself today for a big win tomorrow. So that was huge. Any last last things to add and tell more to you.
1: Gosh, I feel like um the one thing I would say is networking events. We all get invited to uh, like so many. And you'll notice like the more people you know, the more, the more you get invited to. And in the beginning, you're like, I'm gonna go to everything. Like I would hit two and three in a night, right? Like I would try to go to something at 4 30 and then I'd try to be at something at like six. And then like I would try to catch a tail end of something. And um I ended up, you know, it was great. You can only do it so long before you burn out. But then I had to start being more intentional with networking, right? Who are the attendees? If it's an event I've been to, and these two events typically have 90% of the same overlap of people, then maybe I don't go to both events. Another secret is you don't have to stay at an event the whole time. Um, I will tell you, the more the business grew, the less time I had to go to networking events. Um, But I needed to at least stay visible, And so I was a master at kind of the Irish goodbye. So I would come in and I would shake hands and say hello and hug everyone that I knew, you know, meet a couple of new people, make my way through the crowd. And I might be gone in 30 to 45 minutes. And so kind of keep that in mind of remembering that the, the one thing that you're limited on is time. Right. So how you spend your time, spend it in a way that maximizes the results. You know, you want to do a little bit of everything. And then don't be afraid to pivot or ask others for help. If, if something's not working, you know, find a mentor in the industry or talk to, you know, an investment banker or someone who knows a lot in the industry. Um, and then don't give up uh, and don't think it's perfect. I can't tell you how many things I tried that didn't work at all. Right. But there were so many things that did work, obviously. So you're not going to be perfect. You're going to stub your toe. You're going to go all out on this one effort and then, you know, not get anything from it, but then you're going to do something small and you're going to get three amazing new clients. And so just, just know that it's, you know, one step at a time and, and you just, you grind it out. That's what, that's what you have to do is you grind it out and, My mentor, I think the best advice ever given to me, and I say this to this day, is I had a a coach years ago, a career coach. And he said, um, he was a former boxer. And he said, boxing matches are not usually one with one in one punch, right? So there's no magic bullet to success. There's no magic formula that you're just gonna do this and immediately go from here to there. And he's like, it's one step you know, one punch, one round at a time. And I have had to tell myself in times that are great. And in times where I was like, Oh my God, I lost the last four deals in a row. I can't believe I did that. Like I never do that. But then really going back and saying, you know, it's, it's like a boxing match. It's gotta be one step, one punch, one round at a time. And if you will keep with that level of consistency, which is probably a word we should have talked about throughout this, but, you know, keep that level of consistency, then that's how, you know, you win by the end of the matches. So that's my last piece of advice. Good advice. Good advice. Awesome. So tell them where to find you. Um, I, you can find me on LinkedIn. So if you search Stacy Relton, there's only one of me. So I should only come up once.
0: Um, one and, and only.
1: Also, one and only. And then um, and then also, um, I'm happy to give out my email as well if, if you'd like for me to do that. And that's my first name. It's S-T-A-C-E-Y dot Relton, R-E-L-T-O-N at gmail.com.
0: Awesome. That's so sweet. Okay. Well, thank you so much. That was great. I appreciate it. And we'll see you all next time on Growing Your Financial Business the Woman's Way. Bye. Absolutely.
1: Good luck. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c com.